You don't have to be brilliant to know that our world is troubled. Uh, whether you're a teenager, single, married, divorced, uh, a parent, or an empty nester, you know how crazy things are. Our world is getting scarier every week. How many of you are tired of all the division? Just raise your hand. How many of you are worn out by it all? Raise your hand. Is there hope for the world? I believe there is. The church can change the world. Portland is struggling. Is there hope for Portland? We live in the least church city in one of the least church states in the United States. We have a huge challenge and an awesome opportunity to serve Christ in Portland. How can we reach our city with the good news of Jesus Christ? Sharing Christ with people has become increasingly difficult. 100 years ago, the vast majority of Americans attended church and called themselves Christians. That's no longer the case. You may embrace a different world religion. Maybe you did not grow up going to church. You know little or nothing about Christ or the Bible. You may have gone to church and become disillusioned, and so you stopped going. So that means if you're a Christian and you invite somebody to come to church with you, you're probably not inviting someone to return to their roots. More likely, you're inviting someone who knows next to nothing about Jesus and Christian faith. We live in a post-Christian city. According to religious pollster George Barna, the number of people who said that they would definitely attend church if they were invited by a friend has significantly declined in the last 20 years to the point where only 20% of non-believers say that they would go if someone invited them to go with them to church. We've identified a uh, mythical a family, uh, John and Wendy, that we're trying to reach. They're in their late 30s. They have three children. They're not believers. They don't go to church. And so when we think about what we do as a church, we always ask the question, how will this help us reach John and Wendy? How do we reach them? I think a good way is by looking at the early church in the book of Acts to see how they went about bringing Christ to their generation. The New Testament has four accounts of the life of Jesus, but only one of the early church. It's the book of Acts. It covers a period of about 30 years from AD 30, when we believe Jesus ascended into heaven, to about AD 60, when the Apostle Paul took the gospel to Rome. One way to outline the book is geographically. If you want to take a, a copy of the Bible on the seats in front of you, it's on page 1090. You will be eyewitnesses, Jesus said to his disciples, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the book of Acts, chapters 1 to 7, tells how the message of Christ went to the people in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 to 12 tell how it spread throughout Judea and Samaria. The Apostle Peter is the main character in those 12 chapters. And to the ends of the earth. 
chapters 13 to 28 tell how the gospel spread to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul is the main character in those chapters. A cursory glance through the book of Acts reveals that the early church grew rapidly and had great power. So let me read you a few verses. Those who accepted his message were baptized. These were in Jerusalem. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a lot of people in one day. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So the early church, the church today does not have favor. But in that day, it did. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, this was a man who was uh, sick and he was healed by the apostle Peter and John through the power of the Holy Spirit. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were amazed at all the things going on in the church, people being healed. And then we read, this became known all over Joppa. Joppa's on the coast of Israel on the Mediterranean uh, through Peter, someone who was healed, and many people believed in the Lord. And then we read, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Now, this is Ephesus. This is the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. Ephesus is the main city in the Roman province of Asia we know today as Turkey. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The early church was on fire, and there's no doubt that it changed the world. The church can change the world. Why did the early church grow so rapidly? What was the secret to their power? What was the impetus to their success? If we followed their example, what would we need to do? I find three things. First, embrace a credible faith. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, a two-volume work. It was custom in antiquity whenever a work was divided into two volumes to put a prefix before the first as a preface to both books. So Luke 1, 1 to 4 is the real introduction to the book of Acts. Here it is. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Talking about about Jesus Christ and the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated, this is Luke talking, everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He's some sort of leader in the Roman Empire, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. 
Luke tells us he's writing about real historical events that have come to fulfillment from the Old Testament script prophecies that were handed down by eyewitnesses. He excludes himself as an eyewitness. For although he was an eyewitness of the events that occurred in the second half of Acts, he was not there an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. But he does careful investigation. When does he do his research? Beginning in Acts 16, verse 10, Luke begins to write in the first person. He was there. But in Luke, in the first half of Acts, they're written in the third person. He was not there. In Acts 21, 17, Luke arrives in Jerusalem with the Apostle Paul. And in Acts 27, 1, he leaves with the Apostle Paul to go to Rome. In between is a period of more than two years when the Apostle Paul is a prisoner in Caesarea on the coast of Israel. What did Luke during, do during that time? I'm, my guess is he used that time to travel around Palestine and interview eyewitnesses and get acquainted with Jewish customs. When he completed his investigation, he wrote an orderly account. And so now he writes the beginning of Acts. In my former book, the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, dying on the cross, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Luke says, Jesus was raised from the dead, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The resurrection demonstrates that Jesus is the Son of God. And if we put our faith in him, we know that we will live after we die. Now, you may wonder why Jesus didn't claim more openly during his lifetime that he was the Son of God. He did, but it was kind of veiled. The answer is that he was a Hebrew. A Hebrew would not claim a title for himself until he had proven himself. Jesus never proclaimed himself openly until after he was raised from the dead. So in verse 3, Luke says he appeared. It's the Greek word peristen. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Paul tells us he appeared to over 500 people. He says, you want proof that Jesus is alive, that he was raised from the dead? Go talk to one of the eyewitnesses. Many of them are still living. In a court of law, we think we have a pretty good case if we have one or two eyewitnesses. Paul says, we have over 500. Maybe you're dubious about Christian faith and think Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, but the disciples just saw hallucinations. But Luke writes... On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, hallucinations do not eat with you. 
And if believers saw hallucinations, why did the hallucinations cease after 40 days? Why didn't somebody see Jesus on day 43? They ceased because Jesus ascended. And real appearances to real people cannot continue when the real person has gone away. Luke continues, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew. These are the disciples. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew. James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not Iscariot, but the son of James, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You want evidence that the Christian faith is credible? It's right there. His brothers, James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon, joined the early church. They believed Jesus was the sinless Son of God. Do you have a brother? What would it take to convince you that your brother is the Son of God? Brothers know another person about better than anyone. If Jesus had faults, his brothers would know. If his brothers believe he is the sinless Son of God, there's a pretty good likelihood. He is. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So those are the ones that are going to carry on the message about Jesus after he ascended, just 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. This is Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is field of blood. Since we have the highest suicide rate in the history of our country right now, it's more than two times than any other time in history. We have more people that are hopeless. More people after going through these 18 months of COVID and isolation that are taking their lives, this passage raises questions. Do people who commit suicide miss out on heaven? Is suicide unforgivable? The Catholic Church taught for centuries that suicide was unforgivable. Now, let me defend this position for a minute. The number one reason people tell us they don't commit suicide is because they don't want to be lost from God forever. The number two reason they don't commit suicide is they're worried about the impact it will have on their families. So the church's teaching saved many lives. On the other hand, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. That no one includes Satan. Satan is the author of death. When you hear a voice inside of you saying, take your life, you're worthless, that is not your inner voice. That is the voice of Satan, the deceiver. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, including Satan. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Then the Apostle Paul writes, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't believe suicide will separate us from the love of God and our shot at going to be with Christ in heaven. God's not going to let the last decision you make, a bad one, keep you from Him. The early believers had a credible faith that Jesus was the Son of God and raised from the dead. Paul Eshelman, in his book, I Just Saw Jesus, tells about a witch doctor in Mandala, India, who went to see the movie Jesus. And uh, the intriguing thing about the movie Jesus is they've shown it all around the world, and for many people, uh, this was the first movie they'd ever seen in their language. And so people would come out in droves. He saw the movie, and... He took a little pamphlet they gave and uh, had a picture of Jesus, and he went home, and and on his mantle, he put the uh, pamphlet of Jesus, the picture of Jesus, along with the other gods he worshipped. Hindu religion, uh, they believe in many gods, and he sat back and looked at them, and he said, you know, the movie claimed that Jesus is the one true God. These all can't be the true God. So which one is it? How can I know? He says, I'll make a test. And so he got a piece of dried cow dung and put it in front of each one of these gods, including Jesus, and said, let the one true God light the the fuel in front. And he stood back, and the, the flame lit up in front of Jesus, the only one. And that was enough for him. Jesus is the true God. And he threw away all his other gods. And from that day until today, he's been going around telling other witch doctors and people in India that Jesus is the true God. Jesus Christ is the power behind the church. How do we change the world? Embrace a credible faith. Second, depend on the power of of the Holy Spirit. So Luke writes, on one occasion while he was eating with them, this is Jesus raised from the dead, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, this is John the Baptist, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells them not to preach but to sit tight 
until the Holy Spirit comes. They are not to move without their power source. It doesn't matter that they've sat under Jesus' instruction for three years. They need the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit. They will fall flat on their faces without that power. It's the same today. It doesn't matter if you became a Christian when you were a child. It doesn't matter if you've gone to church for years. It doesn't matter if you've read through the Bible many times. You've been in uh, uh, many Bible studies. If you try to minister for Christ and share Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll fall flat on your smacker. So Luke goes on. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says the kingdom of God is not a territory you can find on a map. It's spiritual in its character. Jesus is talking about a spiritual kingdom that has power, the power of the Holy Spirit, working through frail human beings like you and me. Jesus also says says the kingdom of God is international in its nature. You're to take it to the ends of the earth. This is one of the great themes of Acts, that salvation is offered to all people, whether their skin color is black or brown or red or yellow or white. Throughout the book of uh, Acts, Luke describes the triumphal progress of the gospel from Jerusalem throughout Samaria, through the Middle East, up through Greece, into Europe, to Rome, and into northern Africa. It's an amazing story. I wear contact lenses. When I take them out, everything's a blur. But when I put them in, I can see you. Now, my contacts don't overcome my bad vision. They simply counteract it. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. With the power of the Holy Spirit, He overcomes my weaknesses so that I can speak about Christ. You say, how do I depend on the power of the Holy Spirit? Let me see if I can help you. I'm not perfect at this. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I have everything figured out. But here's one thing I do. First thing when I get up in the morning, my alarm goes off. The first thing I do is praise God. I think of all the things I can praise God for as I'm getting ready. And then I commit to depending on the power of the Holy Spirit throughout that day and to pray throughout the day about everything I'm dealing with. Now, if you say, well, I don't know if I can remember to do that, well, then put a post-it on your phone or on the mirror, or in your car, reminding you to pray throughout the day and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, the church can change the world. Three, all believers recognize 
that they are witnesses. Luke tells us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is amazing. The disciples were normal guys. They were fishermen. All of them betrayed Jesus or deserted Jesus on the night he was arrested. Peter denied Jesus three times. Yet Jesus took him back. He didn't just take him back. He put him in charge of the whole enterprise. In spite of our faults, when we rely on the Holy Spirit, Christ can use us to be His witnesses, to tell our story. Our purpose as a church is to inspire people to follow Jesus. We do this by making disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. We don't just make any kinds of disciples. The Apostle Paul wrote, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So, we make disciples who make disciples. We make disciples we want everyone to understand when they become a follower of Christ, they are a witness, not just the pastors. We're all players. Jim Putnam, pastor of Real Life Church in Post Falls, Idaho, says, pastors need to see themselves as coaches of high school players, not college players. High school coaches you know, unless they're at a private school, cannot offer scholarships to great players. They just have to work with whoever comes to them. College coaches deal with athletes who have already have developed a skill base learned from previous coaches. They travel all over to find these nearly finished products Most pastors act like college coaches, looking for stars that can be plugged in immediately with little development. Jesus taught us to work like high school coaches. We are to develop everyone who comes to us and help them see that they are a witness. They can make a difference for Christ. All of us are witnesses, not just the stars. Maybe you're a disciple who has followed Christ for some time. And you realize as I'm talking, I'm not making disciples. I'm not bringing anybody to Christ. I want to change that. The church can change the world. The power to change the world comes from a church that embraces a credible faith, depends on the power of the Holy Spirit, and everyone recognizes that they are witnesses. If you're spiritually curious, I would like to be part of this movement of changing the world. You can get started by telling Jesus you believe He's the Son of God and was raised from the dead, and you want Him to come into your life. And you can do that right now as we pray. Father, thank You for Luke writing the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, where we learn how the early church spread rapidly and had power. It was amazing, and we want to be like that. We want our church to make a difference in Portland. 
We want to be able to change the world, Lord. The world is in trouble. We want to make a difference in our homes, our places of work, our neighborhoods, wherever we go. If you'd like to do that, would you tell God that? Just pray right now silently. You want to be on his team, being a witness for him. And if you've never given your life to Christ, you can tell him right now you believe Jesus is his son and he was raised from the dead and you want him to come and forgive your sins. You pray right now. God, so thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can read about your son being raised from the dead and the, the gospel, the Holy Spirit coming, and it swept through the world and changed the world. And we want to change our world today. In Jesus' name we pray.